recently, we've all been uh, reading the cross of the Savior book. Um, or, or maybe you're not reading and as so much as you, you read the title as you pass it on your counter. Amen. Um, but it's the book we're supposed to be reading. Amen. And uh, uh, either way, our, our focus has been on that book. And also, it's been on the cross uh, over the last couple of weeks. And we'll continue to focus on this for probably about uh, another four more weeks. And, you know, one of the, the focuses that we've had during this time is the response of the people who stood near the cross. And, and I think it's interesting to just try to get in the mindset of the people who were physically there, who saw the events take place, who, who saw the world at that moment, and try to relive what they went through so we can understand, good or bad, kind of the situation that they were in. And, you know, one of the things that I firmly believe is when we take a good look at the cross, our hearts become exposed. We see Jesus. Uh, we see his suffering. We understand maybe that our, our sin put him there. And our response to what we see will say a lot about ourselves. Yeah. Do we just ignore it? Like, I, I, either like, I don't believe what I see, or that's nice for you, but I don't really think that was for me. Or maybe we see the cross and, and then we begin to shut our eyes so tightly like it's not real because we don't want it to be real. We don't want our feelings to be real. I get that as a guy. Please don't let me have feelings. Amen. <clears throat> but when we take the time to just, just stare at the cross, how do we respond? Mm, good question. I know how we respond as, you know, as we're supposed to respond as a church. But as individuals, when we stare at the cross, how do we respond? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at two different hearts that were exposed when they saw the cross. But what is more important is not that their hearts were exposed. Because like I said, all of our hearts are always exposed when we stare at the cross. But what fascinates me is their responses when they saw their heart in plain view. When they saw their sin and what it did to Jesus. Because we're always going to have difficult times. And so for us, the idea is being able to get to a place where we can see our hearts exposed and then still obey Jesus. Amen? Amen. So I have a, a title for you this morning that I'm excited about. title of my lesson today is, Do You Have the Heart of Judas? Oh. <clears throat> Welcome back to school. Amen. So I, I did a lesson about seven years ago with this title. Maybe one of you were there. It's a different lesson. Just reuse, reuse the title. I'm pretty sure it was just Cassidy. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the only person there at that time. Amen. But after, other than that, uh, I don't know if anybody else heard it. So we're going with it. So what we'll do today is we're going to focus on two people, Judas and, and Peter. And we're going to see their hearts as they see the cross. And their reaction and their responses to that and how they went on from there. So to start, we're going to focus on Judas. So the first point title is the quiet sinner. I'm sure that this is not a popular quiet time focus, Judas. Many of you have not go, yeah, it'd be good for you to study out Judas in your quiet times. I've never heard that. Amen. But it, it is actually something that's very unique. If you were to sit down and study out the character, the individual, the person of Judas, 
It's a very fascinating study because we do have a lot of information. There are some of the apostles that we don't have a lot on. Peter, obviously, we do. But there are many that seem a little bit more quieter in the Gospels because, obviously, the Gospels were about Jesus. But Judas definitely has a presence. And so I want to encourage you to look at that. We'll actually look at that a little bit today. When we look at Judas, check this out. He was a man handpicked by Jesus. We see a man that was wise and responsible, so much so that they chose Judas to be the one in charge of the money, which is fascinating because they actually had a guy whose career was handling money in Matthew, the tax collector. And they didn't choose Matthew, the tax collector, whose job, maybe he went to school for it, was doing money. It's like, no, sorry, Matthew, we're going with Judas. Something about Judas made him stand out in such a way where he was deemed more worthy or more responsible to handle the money than a guy whose life was handling money. Judas was responsible. In fact, when when Jesus told uh, the group of disciples that Judas was going to betray them, he said, we'll see here in a minute, Jesus goes, Judas is going to betray me. And nobody got it. They didn't understand Check this out, John 13. Follow along with me. Come on, Jeff. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told them what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. So Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me. And they're like, okay, ask Jesus, who is it? We want to know. And he goes, the guy I hand the bread to is going to betray me, Judas. They're like, okay, what's next? Who's going to do it? Oh, Judas is leaving. Where's he going? Oh, he's probably going to go help the poor. That's Judas. Jesus tells them who's going to do it. And they're like, no, that can't be true. It's got to be somebody else. In the eyes of the apostle, Judas was wise. He was responsible. He was the man. But inwardly, we know there was much more going on. The idea of Judas being a betrayer was so foreign that even when Jesus said something, nobody understood it. Which I guess is kind of tradition with the apostles, but he's pointing them out. You know, I mean, come on, this is an easy one, at least in my perspective. So my question is, how far was Judas, or, or how did Judas get so far gone? How did Judas go from the man to the betrayer? How did his heart get to a place where he would betray Jesus and no one would see it coming? My thought is he just got really good about not being honest with his feelings. He got really good at being quiet. 
In John 12, we see Mary washing Jesus' feet with this expensive perfume. And, and it's a whole interaction. We've talked about it before. And Judas gets up and says this in John 12, verse 5. He says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth the year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So we don't know that. And the only reason we know that Judas steals is because John wrote this uh, much later and was able to kind of and, and learn that later on. But everybody thought, wow, Judas, that's a great point. Why don't we give this money to the poor? It's interesting because Judas is actually making a rational argument with Jesus. He's making a, an out loud. He's making an argument about helping other people. This, this money can help people in need. This money could fund our journey. We could, we could go help and heal and serve more people. Now, although Judas, uh, Jesus out loud said, okay, no, this is what she needs to do to worship me. If we were an onlookers in that moment, we go, oh, Judas, that is a good point. Hey, way to think about other people, Judas. Good job. Because we didn't know any better. And the only thing we'd start to see is Judas looking out for others from an outward perspective. To make a bold claim out loud, Judas may have been the most rational apostle. Out loud. Peter rebukes Jesus, so he's out, right? You rebuke Jesus, sorry man, you're done. Thomas was known for some of the -the off-the-wall sayings. Um, Like after Lazarus died, Jesus decided to go visit him. And Thomas uttered, let's go so we may die also. Thomas, you're not very rational. You are not going to be considered one of the more rational apostles. And then James and John, in a fit of frustration, attempt ask Jesus if they can just kill everybody by calling down fire from heaven. James and John, not rational. And so, but what's Judas's response? Hey, we can help the poor with this money. Oh, Judas is rational. Judas does seem like a person that I could follow or maybe that can take over when Jesus leads. Here's what I've realized. Inward sin that goes undealt with can have grave consequences. Inward sin unchecked will destroy your life and probably the lives of the people around you. Judas became consumed with money to a point of where he started stealing from the coin purse, which I think, okay, so again, welcome to the world of Jeff and the mind of Jeff. Okay. I think this is hilarious because you've got 12 guys that are always hanging out together, right? And so if Judas is stealing money, what is he buying? Especially that they're not going to notice. It's like, Hey Judas, is that a a new tunic? No, no. This old thing. No. (laughs) I mean, where's this money going to go? It's like, he's not buying a house because, well, they don't have one. Cars, you know, no. A chariot? No, I mean, they're walking everywhere. The money he's stealing, it doesn't make sense for him to take it. Because he can't actually use it without any of the disciples around him knowing. And what I've realized is when you're so deep in sin, you start making decisions that don't make sense to anybody but yourself. Because you just can't see how blinded you are by all the things you're doing. 
And every decision you make moving forward is just another attempt to get you deeper out of sin. But instead, it takes you deeper down the rabbit hole. And I think we've got to look at, are the things we're doing rational? And if they're not, ask why. What are we trying to hide? What insecurities are we allowing shape our character? And ask God for peace and clarity and how to move forward. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee, though no one pursues. Because they're so consumed with where they're at. Inward sin that remains unchecked causes you to fall apart and make decisions that you're just going to forever regret. It will. So are there things on your heart that you're just not being honest about? Maybe stored up feelings that you've been holding on to for a long time? If that's the case, I think you need to be able to have an honest conversation about where you're really at. Whether with God, with the people closest to you, but just an honest conversation about how you're really doing. And here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about finding a soapbox to stand on and vent about all the things that you see wrong with everyone else around you. Let me tell you why y'all wrong. <laughs> oh. We have a guy like that on Wednesdays at uh, UNT, right? That soapbox preacher? Amen. You're all going to hell. Oh, I think this guy needs Jesus. You get what I'm saying? Like, that's, but we see that, and it's like this bitter, stored-up anger. But inwardly, we're not looking why we're not at peace. Because we are at our best, I believe, when all of our cards are on the table. When we know where each person stands with Jesus and and with each other. And I think that way, when we know this, we can honestly approach unity. Because that's the goal. The goal is not to win. Although sometimes it's nice, okay? I get that. The goal is not to win. The goal is complete unity with God and with each other. And if you have a mentality that you're trying to win with your brothers and sisters, that's the wrong mentality. It is. That's not what God intends for all of us. And here's where Judas, I believe, starts messing up. He stopped looking at Jesus. He took his eyes off his Lord and focused on how do I take my Lord and put him on that cross. Judas began to look at Jesus and the cross like we all do at some point in our lives, but with a very different perspective. Judas wanted the man that he loved, the man that had trusted him, the man that had handpicked him, the man that chose him to be in charge of the finances over someone who was more, let's say, well-versed. He chose to take that man and say, how can I get him to that cross? And that's how Judas saw the cross. The quiet sinner who looked like he had it all together committed probably the greatest crime in human history because he remained silent. Did not talk about how he was really doing. You know, and I wonder if this would have happened, him betraying Jesus, if he would have decided to be honest about how he was really doing. We know it was in God's plan for Jesus to die. But did it have to be through Judas? Sure, we could have handpicked somebody else. There were plenty. There were plenty of people who wanted him dead. But it didn't have to be Judas. See, sometimes I think our course, we believe about ourselves. We're just on a bad course, and there's nothing we can do about it. And I think that's where Judas got. Well, there's nothing I can do now. 
And then he just let Satan take over. As the passage said, Satan entered him. And that was enough. God wants to keep you with him. He wants you to do great things for him. But you have to believe you can be different than you are now. You have to believe you can be better than you are now. You have to believe Jesus can do anything with you, as Paul tells us in Philippians. And he wants to. But we have to believe it as well. Sometimes I think that we believe if we just hang around the body long enough, we're going to be okay. And don't get me wrong. I think that's good and necessary. Please, amen. But Judas was around Jesus all the time, and it made little difference. In fact, it, pushed, it kept pushing him further and further away. Think about this. Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12 for mission work. Okay? Jesus sends the 12 apostles out. Hey, I want you to go do some stuff. And this is what he tells them. Matthew 10, verse 8. He tells them, I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. And I want you to cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. Judas had the power to heal the sick. He had the ability to raise the dead. He had the ability to (laughs) cleanse those with leprosy and drive out demons. And it didn't matter. He still betrayed Jesus. He could perform the miracles that Simon the sorcerer and Acts was willing to pay top dollar for. And he could still not see Jesus the way he needed to. Those gifts of the spirit, those magical powers, whatever you want to call them, walking with Jesus wasn't enough for him because he wanted more. It wasn't enough. For for Judas, Jesus wasn't enough. That's kind of a scary thought. Jesus gave him everything and so much more. And it wasn't enough. So let me ask you this, point blank. Is Jesus enough for you? Do you need more bells and whistles that come with attending church? Mm-hmm. Worship was great this morning. Yeah. I'm glad we got the stuff to work. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but we're going to have church whether it works or not. Yeah, so are you staying or leaving if this doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Maybe the first time you're like, oh, maybe it's a technical difficulty. <laughs> Second time, I don't know how I feel about this because this doesn't meet my needs. Wow. And, and we start to think that Jesus isn't enough. Judas looked like he had it all together on the outside. But we know what happens. He betrays Jesus for 30 silver coins, feels guilty about it, and then he goes and takes his own life. He saw his sin. He saw what he had done. And he, he just, it was too much for him. In his mind, he had gone too far. So he took his own life. You know, <clears throat> I started to think, why, why get to that point? Because we'll see here in a minute... Peter did some stuff. Peter had some mistakes, but he didn't go that far. So why Judas? Maybe Judas set the standard too high for himself. And he felt like he just couldn't come back. He felt like he was just the man. The one that people needed to rely on. And so when he wasn't reliable, he wasn't the Judas they knew. Whatever lie Satan was telling him at that point, it was enough to convince him that his life was over. When Judas looked at the cross and what he did to Jesus, he was out. He was hurt, and his response was to quit the race. For us, we've got to see the cross differently. We've got to look at the cross the way Jesus wants us to look at the cross. 
and, and allow our hearts to be exposed, yes, but then look at the cross and go, I, I can get better. Yeah. I can be better. I'm not going to listen to the lies that Satan is telling me. Yeah. So I want to look at Peter and how he looked at the cross. Let's go, Jeff. And, and a, a study of Peter is a great study. And I think it's one that maybe many of us have actually attempted to do before because that seems a little bit more positive. Um, but I, I want to look at this. The first point was the quiet sinner. And the second point is the vocal sinner. Because we're all sinners. <laughs> so are we going to be quiet about it or are we going to be open about it? All right, let's go, Jeff. When we look at Peter in the Gospels, he always seems to be the one who speaks on the group's behalf. We see him fail publicly. It feels like all the time. We see the audience of, um, we see as the audience of the Gospels, we see Peter, it looks like, wear his heart on, the sleeve, on his sleeve. And Jesus sees this failure, this guy who's kind of off the wall crazy sometimes, and goes, you know what, I can work with that. I can work with that. If we're to pick up the book of Matthew, okay? So I'm taking this class right now, and we're studying out the Gospels. And the idea is they want us to read the gospel from start to finish and see the gospel as a, a single work, right? As if you knew nothing about Jesus, you pick it up, you read it, and that's all you know. You don't, like, for example, if we picked up Mark, we don't know Matthew, we don't know Luke, we don't know John, we just know what we're reading that is in front of us. And because that's how many of the people who were hearing about Jesus for the first time would have heard him. And so if you pick up the book of Matthew and you start to see Peter... And you look at this kind of three-chapter window, right? If you go to Matthew 14, Peter tries to walk on water, and he fails. He, he chickens out, he gets scared, and Jesus rebukes him, right? If you get to Matthew 15, the Pharisees are mad that the disciples didn't wash their hands, and Jesus gets up and defends them and puts the Pharisees in their place, which is a great story. But if you read further, Peter and the other apostles come to Jesus and like, hey, you really hurt the Pharisees' feelings. They were coming after you. Don't put, well, I'm defending you. And then after that, Jesus explains a little more. And then Peter goes, oh, hey, I don't get the parable. Can you explain that to me? So he looks like he's not on team Jesus. He looks like he's not really smart because he can't understand what Jesus is saying. He looks like he's faithless because he tries to walk on water, but he falls in. And then in Matthew 16, Jesus asks him a simple question like, who do you think I am? And he goes, oh, you're the son of God. And Jesus goes, you're the guy. I choose you to lead all this. But if you read 14, 15, you're like, you kind of go back. You're like, no, 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 no. He's the guy that fell in the water. He's the guy that chose the Pharisees. He's the guy that doesn't get it. So why are you choosing him? And then if you read further, Matthew 16 is where Jesus has to rebuke Peter. Peter. Him? Why? Especially... From our perspective, why choose him? Peter tried, and he continued to learn from his mistakes. Peter was sensitive about the feelings of the people that were insulting him. Peter didn't understand and was okay with not knowing, so he asked questions. And that made it clear to Jesus that this was the guy. See, oftentimes we can look at the mistakes and go, why are we continuing to let this person do anything? <laughs> and Jesus goes, I can work with that heart. I can work with a heart who perseveres. I can work with a heart of someone who's open and who's willing to learn and willing to fail to please and serve me. I can work with that. 
Peter's failures and missteps happened publicly, and Jesus was able to shape him into who he needed to be. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes we're just too afraid to fail with God so we don't try at all. Wow. We become okay with just being okay. So for college, uh, I went to Texas State. Uh, I lived down in San Marcos, and, and since we were pretty close to Austin, what we would regularly do is we would make the drive up to Austin and uh, find ways to entertain ourselves. One of the things we did is, you know, at least we as in I did, is I decided it'd be fun to start jumping off some cliffs. Okay, so I've got a picture of that. Um, so the one, that's me. This is one of like the really, really small ones. It's like 25 feet. And uh, that's me jumping. I did do it. So I didn't want to show the picture of just standing there. Okay, I did actually do it. I think uh, in, uh, Jordan Pinchard was actually with me on that one. I was a team mentor, and I'd take the freshman cliff jumping. What are you going to do? So, and then we moved a year later, weirdly enough. I don't understand. But anyway. But, so this was one of the smaller times. But then there was other times where we'd go to different spots. And the heights we were jumping from were at least 50 feet. And uh, yes, it, it's as scary as it does sound. Um, but I do remember one thing very clearly about these, these 50 foot jumps, because the first thing you do is when, when you get there, you, you go down and you check to make sure that the water's deep enough, right? You don't want to jump and then that be your only jump. Amen. So you want to make sure that the water is deep enough. And then second thing you do is you get to the ledge and you look down. Because you want to make sure, like if you can see in that first shot, there's some trees there. So obviously we're not jumping at the tree, right? We're going to jump away from the tree. And so we want to make sure there's no rocks below. There's nothing we can hit. We want to make sure it's a clean takeoff. But here's the thing. When you take that look and you look down, if you look too long, you're not jumping. (laughs) Because then this like, little thing starts to set in your head. I think it's called common sense, right? <laughs> and it just it, it comes in your head, and you're like, uh, I know. I'm glad to have my parents at all the services now. Amen. So, so amen. So, so we, we get out there, and, I, and there, I remember specifically one time, I was like, okay, cool. And I walked back, and I'm like, wait, I didn't look right. So I just wanted to make sure I looked out, and I looked left again. And then I realized I'd been standing there for a minute. I'm like, probably not jumping. You, know? <laughs> you just got a little scared because you start to, you start to overthink. You're like, wait, did I, did I check all the way down? I mean, I'm going to need an extra 10 feet maybe if I go through the water. I mean, I didn't have a slice of pizza yesterday, so I'm going to need to go. And so, but this, this doubt, this fear starts to come in as you're standing and you're just looking. You've done the work. You've checked the water. You've checked the, the landing zone. You've done everything you know to do. But then you start thinking. And what happens is doubt comes in your mind. Fear comes in your mind. You start rethinking every decision you've ever made up to that point. You start to think again, is is the water really deep enough? And what happens is fear takes over. And more often than not, you you just don't end up jumping. Because you're so focused on the doubt and the fear. And I think when we allow fear and not faith... To dictate our emotions spiritually, we are no longer being transformed into the people that Jesus has called us to be. We no longer look at the cross and trust. We look at the cross and think, oh, that could be me. And we become fearful of our lives. When Jesus was arrested, that fear began to kick in for Peter. Peter was also looking at the cross at this point. 
but he was imagining that he was the next person that was going to be on it because he was one of Jesus' guys. So what Peter does is he, he still follows Jesus, but at a distance because he wants to see how it's going and, and make sure that he's not next. Go to Luke 22 and let's see what happens in verse 56. Let's go, Jeff. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, my favorite. I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also were one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. So a servant girl, a nobody, someone to speak plainly, nobody cares about, walks up to Peter and says, hey, I think you were with Jesus. How would a servant girl, a no one, know who Peter was, especially if Peter's not from the area. Because this woman, servant girl, probably wasn't running with the angry mob that went to arrest Jesus. So how did, how did she know? Well, best guess, she had probably seen Peter with Jesus helping and serving people. She had seen Peter helping people like her, the outcasted, the unloved, the nobodies. Out of fear, Peter's response is, nope, that wasn't me. I didn't do any of that. And then the second person comes up to Peter. Hey, you knew Jesus? Nope. I don't know. And then the third person walks up to Peter and goes, look, dude, you're not from here. You're a Galilean. This ain't Galilee. Galilee, right? This ain't Galilee. So we know that you have to be because that only makes sense. No, I'm just wandering through. Passing by for the festival, maybe. That's what it was. It was obvious to everybody. Everybody knew who Peter was, from the servant girl to the locals. And Peter's like, no, it's not me. It's so often, sometimes we get in situations where we're so deep in sin, people are like, dude, you're in sin. No, that's not me. Dude, we we have it on tape. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we know it's you. No, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Because we're so scared. Of the consequences. We're so scared of our image being tarnished that we act irrationally. And here's what broke my heart. After all this happened, Jesus looks right at him. Jesus in the midst of being tortured, false trials, he's being beaten, stops paying attention for a moment and just turns his head, looks right at him. You know, I think about Jesus in that moment. What was he thinking about? He probably wasn't angry. It's Jesus. He was just probably full of compassion. He probably just wanted to scream out at Peter. It's okay. Don't worry. I've got this. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of it. Everything will be fine. But Peter hung his head, took off crying because he knew what he had done. He, had knew, he knew he had betrayed Jesus in that moment. You know, what I've realized 
as I've studied out many of these interactions, is everyone was looking at the cross, but not everyone was seeing what they needed to see. When Judas looked at the cross, he saw an instrument to kill Jesus. When Peter looked at the cross, he was afraid because he thought he would be next. They they did not see what Jesus wanted them to see, and that was him. Just him. Their loving Lord who wanted to be there for him. So let me ask you this. When you look at the cross, what do you see? Do you see a man who gave up everything for you? Do you see a Jesus suffering because of how much he loves you? When we look at the cross, what do we focus on? Is it ourselves or is it our loving Lord? And I think that's got to be an honest question we ask ourselves every morning when we wake up. Because if we focus on ourselves, I guarantee it, we're going to spend the rest of the day in turmoil. Because life is about us. But if we focus on our Lord, regardless of our circumstances, we'll be at peace. Yeah. Because we trust our Jesus. Yeah. And after Peter realized what he had done, he went away and cried. And he was broken, just like Judas. But because early on in the ministry, I believe, because of the missteps where he got to see Jesus correct him. He got to see Jesus help his heart when he made mistakes. All those outward failures turned into opportunities to grow and learn. Yeah. And so when Peter fell on his face, totally screwed up, he remembered Jesus. I can do better. And I will be better. So much so that, check this out, John 21, verse 7. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped the outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the full net of fish, for there was, they were so far from shore, about 100 yards. So Jesus is risen. The guys are out fishing, doing their thing. Jesus sees them. John goes, hey, look, it's Jesus. Peter goes, I have to get there. And he gets out of the boat and runs the length of a football field to the shore. Not caring about what he looks like. Not caring about him getting wet. Knowing that all he needed in that moment was to be with his Jesus. Because now for Peter, the cross meant something different. It meant life. It meant hope. This instrument of death became the focus of saving lives, saving others, and for Peter, saving himself. He now had a second chance. And he could now be who Jesus always wanted him to be. Peter allowed the cross to mold his heart. And that made all the difference. For us, that has got to be the same. So I want to close with this. We are all broken people with issues. We are all sinners. Some of us quiet. Others of us more vocal. We all have our shortcomings and our failures. And when we look at the cross, our hearts are all exposed. Period. The real test is going to be for us. How do we respond when we look at the cross? Judas didn't respond well. Peter didn't respond well at first. Many of us oftentimes don't respond well. But my hope is that we can learn to see the cross in a different light. We can see it as hope. We can see it as a second chance to walk with God. And we can see it ultimately as salvation. Because when we have the heart, this heart, we'll be able to see Jesus the way he wanted us to see him. And from there, we can change the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Come on, Jack.